I'm there. I can move on. Let's get on to 14. No. It's need be that we stop and hang out in 1 Corinthians 13. Well, there are people who put some thousand years ago or so put scriptures together, did something rather smart. They put 13. Hold on. This is, this is going to be revelation to you. They put 13 in between 12 and 14. So you're shocked by that. Well, that is important because chapter 12 talks about proper use of the spiritual gifts and chapter 14 talks about proper use of the spiritual gifts. And right in the middle of that, love. And what Paul is going to suggest in this chapter is that if we're not loving, if we're not truly agape loving one another, we're nothing. To borrow Dave's illustration, we're a dead cell phone. We're a broken watch. We're a mic that doesn't work. We're useless if we're not loving like that. Well, let's set the context somewhat for 1 Corinthians 13. If you go back just a few verses, uh, Paul is going to talk to them about a, a more excellent way. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Then he jumps into chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul breaks his train of thought on the spiritual gifts and interjects love because he understands who these Corinthians are. We find all the way back in chapter 1 that this is a church that most modern-day churches, there's a reason why you don't see 1 Corinthian church of Hatfield. No church wants to be considered to be a church like Corinth. Corinth had major issues. They were factioned off between who baptized, who did the baptizing. I'm of Peter, I'm, I'm of Paul, I'm of, a, I'm of Apollos. Uh, they had questions about lawsuits, and they were taking each other to court. They had sexual issues that were going on inside the church. They didn't discern the Lord's body correctly. They were fighting and incorrectly reviewing and looking over and going over the Lord's table. This is a messed up church. But of all that they don't have and the things that they are doing, the gifts that they have, they're not loving they have drawn all sorts of false conclusions about spiritual gifts. And some are saying, I'm incredibly mature because I have this gift. And I have this gift and you don't, so you're less than me. I've got this miraculous gift. You don't, and you're less than me. And there's a tendency to have fighting. There, there's issues. There's There's tension. And Paul says from the very beginning, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Agape love, we have seen this throughout the New Testament. And Jesus refers to it, and it's talking about this deep love. This deep love that is to be abiding in God's people. It's a deep affection and a delight 
people. It's a commitment to the welfare of one another. And I'd like to stop there in the definition so it's not just a deep affection, not just a delight in, not just a commitment to the welfare of another. It also means oftentimes that there's a sacrifice in me. There's something that I must give. There's something I must forego. There has to be a change in me. The kind of love that Paul is talking about here can't be done in the natural, brothers and sisters. You can't will yourself to do it. You've got to have a changed heart. In other words, you've got to be born again. This kind of love does not come from simply listening to Luther Vandross. Uh, let me see, let me see. Uh, Pat Boone. It's not simply we something we hear, the poetry that we might read. That come, this is a heart change. I truly pray that we, God's people this morning, will walk in this kind of love. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to see four different aspects of love. We won't spend the same amount of time on all of them. Number one, we'll see the prominence of love. Secondly, we'll see the persistence of love. Thirdly, the permanence of love. And then finally, the preeminence of love. We just read the verses that discuss the prominence of love. And what we see here is Paul is critiquing three different aspects of Christian ministry. And in particular what the Corinthians would have enjoyed. Uh, Paul tells them that they didn't lack in any spiritual gifts. There were no cessationists in the Corinthian church. They were all continuationists. In other words, the spirit gifts were operating fully. There was tongues, there was healing, there was miracles, there was words of knowledge. All these things were happening. This was the church that had the juice. This is the church that you'd show up on a Sunday morning and like, I felt the power of the Lord in that place. But what does Paul say about the speaking gifts from the very beginning? If I have the tongues, and I think he's speaking in hyperbole, and the, and the tongues of angels. I have the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, but I do not have love. I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. Those of you with children understand that kind of language if you ever went to those third grade musicals. Uh, we older parents have graduated from that. I will boast in that. I no longer have to go and endure sounds that I never thought were supposed to come out of French horns like that. It's noisy. It doesn't fit with the ensemble. It doesn't fit with what the group is supposed to produce. It's a noise. And by the way, that noise is annoying. And it completely takes away from what the orchestra or the group is supposed to be producing. Paul is saying, if you've got tongues of men or of angels and you don't have love, you're just like that. You're nothing. Secondly, he goes on to say, if you have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries. I am able to come to you and discern the issues of your heart and maybe give you some level of illumination. I have all knowledge. I have all faith. Paul qualifies that faith so as to remove mountains. You've got that kind of faith that Jesus talks about. You've got, you've got all knowledge. You've got all mysteries. You have the gift of prophecy. We would say, what a spiritual giant. We need to call him to be our next elder. He should be the bishop of the church. Paul says, if I have all those things and I don't have love, I'm nothing. He moves from noisy gong, clanging cymbal, to I am Nothing. See, he gives us a critique of what we know. I can have all this information about God. But if I don't love people, I'm nothing. Finally says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, maybe if I bring them boxes that will be sent off to children. 
If I, send, if I surrender my body to be burned, he's talking about martyrdom. I'm willing to give my life for the faith. But I do not have love. It profits me nothing. Because isn't that what the thinking is? I've done this for these people. I've given my possessions to them. I don't love them. But I am storing up for myself kudos with God. Oh, Lord, I, I, I am so surrendered to you that I'll give my body to be burned. I'll give my life to you. But I don't really love people. Paul says, if you're doing those things and you don't have love, it profits you nothing. God is not sitting back impressed. He is not impressed by what we might do. He's not impressed what we, by we must know and say. By the way, he is not saying don't give. He is not saying don't uh, speak well or exercise the gift of tongues in this context. He is saying if you do those things and it doesn't have love, you're nothing. So brothers and sisters, as we think about our lives, as we think about our gifting that God has given us, about what we say, what we know, what we do, what's my motivation? Is it love? Do I do this because I love people? Leading with love, I think, is one of the best. Alexander Strauch, he does biblical eldership. Uh, he's got a lot of resources online that you can get for free. Best book on love in terms of ministry that, I, that I've ever read. I would recommend it. If you're in ministry, get this book. He writes this, and he's quoting D.A. Carson. And here's what Carson says in the book. They still proclaim truth, but no longer passionately love him who is the truth. They still perform good deeds, but no longer out of love, brotherhood, or compassion. They preserve the truth and witness courageously, but forget that love is the greatest witness to the truth. It is not so much that their genuine virtues have squeezed love out, but that no amount of good works, wisdom, discernment in matters of church discipline, patient, patient endurance, and hardship, hatred of sin, or disciplined doctrine can ever make up for lovelessness. In other words, you can have all those things. We could be the most solid theological church in the world. We could be sending money out to missionaries everywhere. We could be feeding all the homeless in Allentown and the surrounding areas. If we don't have love, we're nothing. It's a waste of time. Love. It's about love. So the balance of our time, really the majority of our time, we're going to talk about the second point I want to make, the persistence of love. John MacArthur suggests that Paul in this section gives us the very definition of love. What's he say there in verse 4? Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag. And it's not arrogant, does not act becomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The persistence of love. I've, on your hand out there, you'll see two different lists that I've given you. The first we want to look at is this selfless kind of love that Paul is going to outline in these verses. And the first thing he says is love is patient. And I've got to admit, brothers and sisters, when I'm reading this in the years, I say, Lord, Lord, Paul, why didn't you put that down in verse 7? Can I at least get something I've got mastered? At least let me start off good, Paul. Why do you got to start out with my thing? He says we must be patient in the context of church. Patiently bearing with those who don't love you and choose 
not to retaliate against them. This could be those who are exercising their spiritual gifts in a showy kind of way or in a way we don't think they should, or maybe they're not as gifted and they're trying to do something in a, in a poor fashion or they're kind of embarrassing and we need to be patient. We should be not rushing to criticize one another. See, patience says you need to do it my way and in my time. Hey, can, I, can I get a witness? Please don't make me stand up here all by myself. It's a hot place up here because it can't be just me. It's got to be done my way and in my timing. And if you're not doing it my way and in my timing, I'm going to be critical of you. First thing Paul says is love is patient. Now, I want us to contextualize patience. Here's the context. How patient is God, has God been with you? Is very enough to say, maybe we should add a few varies to that. Very, 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 very patient. Then in turn, if I'm truly loving others, I am patient with them and not so quick to criticize. Now, you can start to see how this will spill over to marriage and to relationships. But this is in the context of the church. By the way, in the context, if we're loving one another in this fashion, surely we're going to have this spill out into our homes and into the community. But it ought to start with the people of God being patient with one another. He goes on to say, love is not only patient, love is, love is kind. You ever met a patient person, but they're mean? I'll be patient with you, but I'm grumbling underneath. I don't like that I'm patient with you, but I'm patient. <laughs> Hurry up, I'm grumbling. Man, it's taking them so long. Ooh, they get on my nerves. Ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah, take your time. <laughs> no, he says love is patient and is kind. You can put up with another person's sin, but you can hate them as you're doing it. He says, no, you got to put some meat, some, some, some meat on the bone, so to speak. You ought to have affections and feelings for them. Love cultivates those feelings, those affections, those tender-hearted times that we are to have with one another. We oftentimes, instead of saying kind words to one another, don't we meet one another with harshness? Let me ask you this. Are you a person who chooses to, are you a person that first affirms a person or condemns them? Can you see what's wrong in a person first before you see what's good about them? It's, which is you? Like when I first meet a person, I affirm them or I first pick out everything that's wrong. I'm like, what's up with their hair? Why don't they dress like that? Man, their breath, why are they so close? Or is it affirmations? Oh man, it's good to see them here. I don't know who they are. They're visitors. Thank God that they're here. Hey, I'd like to get to know them. That I'm kind to them. I am more quick especially in the body of Christ, to be affirming of another believer. Dave Schoen instituted, I don't know, six months ago, eight months ago, a time just in our staff meetings where we just have a time of affirmation. And not platitudes, not just nonsense. Hey, you know, Dave, you're here. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, I really appreciate this. But that ought to be normative for Christians, shouldn't it? It ought to be normative that we're kind to one another, especially in the body of Christ. Harshness ought to go away. By the way, part of grieving the Spirit in Ephesians 4, what grieves the Spirit? The verse right before that talks about the way we speak to one another, say words in Ephesians 4.29 that only build up. 
not tear down. Doesn't mean we don't speak the truth, but we say words and things that will build each other up. Love's patient. Love's kind. He goes on to say, and we'll get back to those negatives in the verse. He says, love rejoices in truth. Person who is walking in genuine love looks for opportunities for those who have done well. And when truth is proclaimed or lived out, he's always looking for the opportunity to rejoice in truth. The truth of God's word. Again, being lived out in a family. I, I am blessed by marriages that I've been able to see. Blessed by families that I've heard that have walked with the Lord for, for a long time. And those things are good that God's truth is permeated through a person's life. I rejoice in that. See, don't ever get in the context of someone who says, well, love is devoid of emotion. Is that what Paul says here? Paul says love rejoices in truth. We rejoice in God's truth being made known to the world. We rejoice in God's truth being believed in the world. We rejoice in that. He goes on to say that it not only rejoices in truth, it's kind and it's patient, it bears, it bears all. Genuine love has a way for the person who is loving to patiently endure the most difficult of circumstances. And by the way, you've heard this said before, I love ministry or I'd be in love with ministry if it just wasn't for people. Love gives me the ability to patiently deal with one another. Doesn't mean I don't hold people accountable for their sin and, and their negative behaviors, but it guards me from being excessively defensive and can't we become incredibly defensive? What are you doing to me? This is how this makes me feel. It's got to be my way. You've done this, and I'm really thin-skinned when it comes to things. person who bears with others saying, it doesn't have to be my way. I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to have the final word. You ever remember around people? Sidebar. you got to have the final word. <laughs> Exhausting. That's me. You know, I, okay, you say something, yeah. I'm going to end with a yeah, something. Got to have the last word. Love says, I bear with you. Love believes all things. Do we believe the best in other Christians? Or do we look at them with an attitude of suspicion? What's your motivation? What's underneath that? What are they doing? Come on, what are they doing? They ain't, really, they ain't really in that in love. He can't be that serious about the faith. We have this suspicion. Oh, that's not what they really want to do. What's the real motive? What do you think the real motive? What's lying underneath it? I'm suspicious. That's the way the world is. That's not us. We believe all things. We don't jump to conclusions. Brother shared with me some years ago, and I've tried to walk by it. Always assume when you're dealing with other people, there's one thing you don't know. Because don't we think we know it all? I know exactly why you do what you do. Really? You're Gnostic. You've got all the information, secret knowledge into my life. Assume there's one thing you don't know. But we believe all things. I want to be, believe the best in Christians. I want to believe that you have my best interest in mind, and prayerfully you believe the same about me. Paul says we believe all things. We hope all things. Oh, this is a hard one. We hope the best in others. What if you've been repeatedly hurt by a brother or sister in the faith? The reason why most people leave the church is because of the church. People leave churches because things that have happened in the church, and sometimes I've heard of really good, deep, doctrinal reasons to leave a church. There are those. But other times it's been like, 
The pastor didn't say hello to you? And you're leaving? Uh, they changed the carpet. You thought it should be green with a purple kind of mix in it. They went with blue and you're, you're leaving. They took out the pews and put in chairs. Can you, let me see, can you still sit? I'm leaving. Really? I, I hope that God's people, God is always working in his people. God's always working in situations, no matter if you've wronged me. God is changing you. How do I know that? Because that's what I pray you think about me. None of us have yet arrived, have we? And we all need to mature. Love hopes all things. It always hopes. And the best in people. And that God is doing a work. God is moving. God is doing something. He that has begun a good work in you will perfect it. God's doing a work in his people. Don't get so discouraged. Don't be so downtrodden when you see them mess up. It's going to be okay. God's going to do it. Bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This kind of love is enduring, which means it's going to be hard, brothers and sisters. It's going to be difficult. It's closely connected with that word bearing. It endures difficulties. You can't enter into a relationship with a person and not have sometimes a friction at, at times. But what drives me through the friction? Let me rephrase that. What should drive me through the friction? My love. My deep, deep commitment to you. Your deep commitment to me in the church, that we, we love each other, so we're going to get through this. We're going to overcome this, especially if it's a non-doctrinal issue. It's just a difference of opinions. Let's get through this. Let's endure, patiently endure these things. So love is selfless. Last one we'll get to at the end of the verse, excuse me, end of the chapter is the greatest. So we'll come back to that. He secondly goes on to talk about this other list that you see there. Um, love is not selfish. Look at the first thing he points out. Jealousy. Some translations say love does not envy. Do uh, you ever get upset that someone's got something that you don't have? Maybe a spiritual gift? Uh, do you find yourself sitting back? I wish I could do that. Matter of fact, I, I, I want that. That's jealousy. I'm, I'm so upset that I don't have that. I would be far better, and I would use that gift far better than, than them. And then maybe we go on to say when envy enters the door is, I don't even like that they have it. And matter of fact, I don't like them. I'm angry with them. I wish that would be taken away from them. Jealousy and envy that my just what I think is ambivalence turns into anger and hate. I'm jealous of you. I wish you didn't have it. I wish evil for you. Lord, take it away. Are we the kind of people that love to see the mighty fall? Knock them down, God. Humble them, Lord. And we think that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Humble them, Lord. Um, I don't pray those prayers. And please don't pray those for me. God's doing a good job. He's, 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 he's on his job. He is humbling me quite often. You don't have to pray that for me. I think, brothers and sisters, one of the hardest battles we have to fight against is jealousy. It can start in the church, but it can move so quickly out there. I want what I see. I, I want this or that. I want this. 
kind of relationship. I want this kind of home. I want this sort of stuff. That can be insidious. Check your heart here, brothers. Sisters, please check your heart here. Is that where you are? He goes on to say, this kind of love that he has outlined, which is selfless, this selfish love starts with jealousy. Then it moves on to bragging or boastfulness. Love does not boast. It's the exact opposite of any kind of true humility. You don't resent people. That's not what we're called to do. But boasting says, look at me. Look at my gifts. And in Corinth, it would be a man. Come on, man. If you guys had that gift of healing, if I could speak all sorts of tongues. Hey, when I first became a Christian, I got command. My friends were tongue speakers. And these guys were like tongue speaking on demand. We're playing basketball. We're eating, eating, eating breakfast. Whoa, man, they got like tongues on demand. Like, Lord, I want tongues on demand. I don't have to be in the context of church. We'd be out just at different places. Oh, the Lord's speaking to me. Whoa, I want that juice. I was young and dumb. Maybe still am. Well, at least one of the two. <laughs> this church cared nothing for unity, peace, harmony, true fellowship. They desired gifts and were upset, and they boasted in the ones that they got. They boasted in what they could do. They boasted in what the gift was. What's the problem with boasting in a gift? It's a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it. God gave you this grace gift to do what you do. There's no boasting in the gift. So we don't boast in our salvation, right? We boast in the salvation giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. These people are boasting, and this kind of boasting is prominent in our society. I've got to tell the others what I'm doing. Got to tell them who I am and what kind of gifts I am. We do that in ministry. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor of the church here. See my spot out front. That's the pastor's park, and you shouldn't park there. That's, that's my spot. Pastor here. See my office down there? It's the lead pastor. It's me. I just wanted you to know, in case you didn't know that. What kind of nonsense is that? proliferates in our culture. I remember taking my kids to school and I'd see those vans. You know those wicked evil vans with the stickers on the back. My kid is an honor student at this school. I'd be like, I want to like knock your bumper off. And I wanted to get a sticker that said, my kid can beat your kid up anytime he chooses. That's why I really I didn't do that because I'm so humble. You know, I didn't want to do that. This kind of boasting happens when you have a gift that is not yours, it's the Lord's. He gave it to you. This is happening in the church. He goes on to say, love is not arrogant or puffed up. All the gifts that this church had received, all the good that had came to them was from the Lord. They had no reason to boast or be arrogant. This can happen as churches, by the way. It could definitely happen as individuals, but it can happen as a church. Oh, do you guys know what's going on inside our church? Oh, we're the best church in the valley. Oh, we got it going on, y'all. We got this happening and this happening. We're the best. Man, you need to leave that church. Man, you got your small little podunk thing you guys got going on. Man, forget that. This is the thing. It's happening here. Spirits moving here. Okay. That's from the devil. We're thankful that the Lord has brought and gathered a people to himself that long for his word, but we're not the only game in town. We're not the only church that proclaims the word of God. 
don't boast in the ministry. It's God moving in our midst. I sure pray that he is. And I pray that that has nothing to do with numerical growth. It has to do with the depth of our spiritual understanding of who God is and who we are before him. That's what we're going to have. God's not going to say, oh, okay, ooh, you're from that medium-sized church. Okay, you've got, you're in the back of the line. It's not how God looks at things. It's how we look at things. He says love is not, love is not arrogant, boastful, jealous. It's not unbecoming. Some translations say love is not rude, pushy. I've got to make sure I speak. I've seen guys like this, especially as pastors. I was that way. I wish I could say that I wasn't. When you're a pastor and you're a preacher, man, you want to go, and they call it sneak a preach. Sneak a preach. Here's sneak a preach. We want you to pray to open our service, pastor. So I got a three-point sermon in that prayer. Lord, thank you. And as it says in 1 Corinthians, first, and second, Lord, in the prayer, this is all during the prayer, I snuck a preach because I wanted everybody to know how good I am. Go sneak a preach. Dude, why don't you just get up and pray? No, because I got to let you know that I'm, you know, you got to introduce me correctly. What? That's rude. It's nonsense. This is not what's to happen in church. God has called his church to be at peace. There's no to be. He, God is not the author of confusion. There's no confusion in the church like this. Love does not seek its own, self-seeking. It does not insist on its own way. It's got to be my way. What? the church should be saying is not how what's what's in it for me or how can I put my gift on display it's how can my gift be used to promote others rather than myself uh, don't we see an example of that as the Lord Jesus Christ as he straps that towel around his waist and he bows a knee in front of his disciples slips off their shoes and washes their feet this is the model of love and humility and obedience we use our gifts to affirm and praise and promote others, not ourselves. We don't need to exalt ourselves. It's not about me, but this is antithetical to most churches. You guys already know when it's time for David Smith to go, when I suggest to you David A. Smith Ministries would really attract a lot of people, and you need to have my picture, <laughs> say, oh, he's lost it. Somebody either poison him but he's definitely got to go. It's not about me. It's not even about Bethel. It's about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. Paul says, love does not seek its own. It's not provoked. These are another one I wish I would have skipped. Now, for time's sake, are we really in time? I should probably just skip these next ones, right? Now, wouldn't that be nice? Love is not irritable. Some translations say love is not easily angered. I don't like that one. See, this is the person that on the surface, it looks really good until you push their button. And you push that button and the volcano's going to erupt. Boom. The slightest little criticism, the slightest little rebuttal to them, the slightest little word to them, they're going to explode. Boom. That's not love. Love is not easily provoked. And we make excuses for this, don't we? Uh, anybody ever said this? That's just the way I am. I can't change. Well, then there's a fundamental problem that you have with Scripture because the Bible says that we are new creatures in Christ. Behold, 
Old things have passed away. Everything's been made new. So I shouldn't be easily provoked. Love, and I, I think really, brothers and sisters, in, in the context of a relationship, this ought to be fundamental to a church relationship, but also to a Christian relationship. That if you got anger issues, you really need to deal with that because that's a pride issue. If you're easily angered, if you're not thick-skinned, you got pride issues. I say that because I love you. You got to really deal with what's so worthy in you that you feel you've got to defend yourself with anger. See, I'm trying to realize there's nothing worthy in me to defend. David, you ain't much. Amen. You're, you're, you're right. David, you could do better. You're wrong again. I'm 0 for 2. And you got a whole other, a whole lot of others that you can say. The only thing I can say is I, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's nothing worthy of me to defend. Why do I have to get angry and defend myself? It's nothing worthy of me to defend. You're not the husband you should be, David. Right again. Not the pastor you should, oops, man, you've, you must be following me around. And I don't say that in an arrogant kind of way or just some kind of way, just flippantly casting off what you says. I know who I am. We shouldn't be easily provoked, brothers and sisters. Not in the church. We ought to be able to deal and have dialogue without getting angry. We can come to disagreements without getting angry in the church. Accounting wrongs suffer. Old translation says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Anybody got that little check in the back of their mind? Oh, I remember 50 years ago you did this to me. Oh, and I'm just, I got them all marked out in my mind. Every time I see, ooh. Becky, ooh, I remember you did that too. Ooh, and I remember that one too, and I remember that one, and I was going through my mind. True love says, I keep no accounting of wrongs suffered. Brothers and sisters, what accounting does God keep of your wrongs toward him? As far as this, your sins are from the east, from the west, you've been forgiven. And we, we've got to hold on to stuff 40 years, 50 years. I'm holding on to stuff. True love says, brother, I forgive you. Sister, I forgive you, and it's gone. Now, I used to say in the world, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. That's biblical language, right? What's wrong with you guys? Help me out. Let me justify some of my stuff. Forgive and forget. It ought to be gone. We can't keep this up-to-date accounting on people. Quick to forgive rejoicing in unrighteousness love does not rejoice at wrongdoing what do you really think when you see other people fall when you see marriages break up when you hear of children going wayward in a family what what do you think what do you think when you hear that couple is really going through a difficult situation their love and compassion are like yeah that's that's good that they got that that's not love love doesn't rejoice to hear that others are being brought low and then pat ourselves on the back because it hasn't happened to us love does not rejoice in unrighteousness I want us to pause for a second I put those on your handouts because I want you to really think through which of the selfless ones can you say, hey, you know, I, I have not perfected these, but, but I'm walking there. I'm close there. And which ones are you saying I, I'm, I'm not there at all? 
Additionally, what, what selfish kind of love, quote unquote, are you displaying? In your quiet time with the Lord, which, which one would he indict you and say, brother, you got a lot of work to do there. Sister, you got a lot of work to do there. Paul wants this church to be the light that it should be. With all the gifts that they had, they were to be penetrating the community with the grace gifts that God had given. But they had been so much, there had been so much infrastructure fighting that the world would look at them and say, why would I want to join that group? Love does these things consistently. Selfless love. Number three, let's keep moving. The permanence of love. We've seen the persistence of love, the prominence of love, the permanence of love. Love never fails. Look at what he says. Gift of prophecy, they will be done away with. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part, prophesy in part, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away or put away in some translations with childish things. For we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, then I will be fully, excuse me, I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Paul is saying here that spiritual gifts like prophecy, word of knowledge, tongues, and others will someday in the future pass away when that which is perfect is going to come. Much speculation. I don't have the time this morning to go through uh, what some of those speculations are about the, the perfect coming. Some say it's the word of God when the canon of scripture was complete, when the maturity of the church would reach a certain place. Uh, I think in summation, this is really talking about the, the eternal state. The perfect has to do more so with what we'll do and be when we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. That all these things will be done away with in glory. But what's not going to be done away with in glory? What's always going to be? Love. Can you imagine you're going to be loving in heaven? But see, that's only part of it. You're going to be loving, but you're also going to be being loved in heaven. After all, we reminded last week, God is love. What is he going to how is he going to be with us in glory? Loving. Can you imagine unfettered love? See, we have these fleshly bodies and fleshly natures that still hinder our reception of love and our giving of love to others. Can you imagine when that's all gone and I can receive the glove of God fully? What overwhelming presence that must be. I get the full love of God. I get to give it to others. I, that to me is this, and I'm like, what is in me that has brought me to a place that God would want to love me like that for his own good pleasure? God will permanently love me and you. Can't imagine. Last verse we see there in verse 13, the preeminence of love. We would all exalt the virtue of faith, hope. Uh, those two things are important in the Christian life. Paul suggests, though, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
Christian church, Christian individuals must be marked by love. Because God is love, his love is eternal. We too are to be loving. Love is the greatest thing we can do, which is why it's important that we define what this love looks like, what this love of God is to be in the world. Gifts, ministries, faith, hope, patience, they will all day be done away with. One day I'll be done away with, but God's love will not. And brothers and sisters, during this juncture of history, what the world needs to see in the Christian church is, is love. I, uh, I'm an 80s guy. I've told you that several times before. There's a song from the 80s that I enjoy by a group called Foreigner. And the lyrics go something like this, and I can't help but pray that the world one day will kind of make these statements. I'm going to take a little time, a little time to look around me. I've got nowhere left to hide. It looks like love has finally found me. You know the refrain. I won't have us all sing it together. In my life, there's been what? Heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. I can't stop now. I've traveled so far to change this lonely life. I want to know what love is. Is the church to prepare to say we can show him? I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Can the church show love? He repeats those phrases. I want to know. I want to feel. If we're spending so much time fighting prideful attitudes regarding our gifts, how are they seeing love? Love defined is love in action toward one another and toward the world. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a suggestion chapter. It's a must chapter. We are to hold ourselves accountable to that. God has blessed us greatly as a church. Very, very gifted men and women in this room. We have been gifted financially. I cannot believe during this pandemic year what God has done to this church financially. It is overwhelming to me. But with all those gifts comes great responsibility to love. Not the gift, but the gift giver. And we do that by loving one another. Let's pray. Father, I'm keenly aware there might be some, there may be some in here who are asking that same question. They don't even know what I'm talking about. They have never experienced this kind of love from you or from other believers. Lord, their love has been a slap in the face, maybe physically, literally a strike in the face from a parent or a grandparent or someone who was supposed to love and care for them, abused them. Lord, maybe they have never truly had a loving friend. 
Maybe their life has been filled with abuse and which has led to hard to trust, hard to be transparent, hard to give love because I've never received it. Father, if that's a man or a woman or even a teenager in this room, Lord, would they not leave this place not knowing that we at Bethel, our love is imperfect, but we will, we will try to love him here. And we will surely point him to the one who is altogether lovely, who can love them perfectly. Lord, would you do that for your namesake? Would you draw your people to yourself that we might truly walk out? Not our gifts solely, but our gifts and love for your glory and for your namesake. We love you, O God. Thank you so much for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.